Well, this morning we find ourselves almost two weeks into the Lenten season and on a penitent journey to the cross of Christ. And, and here we are in chapter 13 of Luke's gospel with an important view into the journey that Jesus made going before us. So let's jump right in here. Verse 31. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I finish my course. So Luke gives us a timestamp here of at that very hour. And there's really so much happening in chapter 13. We'll actually get a bit more context next week. But just back in verse 30 or verse 22, Luke tells us that Jesus was going through the towns and villages teaching and, and journeying toward Jerusalem. And in the verses just prior to our passage here, he just got done telling people that his way is narrow, that many will try and enter the narrow door and will not be able to, which is not a popular message then or now. And so this may have been why the Pharisees, what they were trying to accomplish with their message to Jesus. Maybe they just wanted him to leave. Um, Maybe they were trying to protect him. We don't really know, but, but we can be sure. What we can be sure about is the confidence of Jesus's response here. Whatever the purpose of the Pharisees and Herod, Jesus uses the threat to make clear the nature of his upcoming death as a part of his ministry, part of his mission. And in making this statement to the Pharisees, Jesus is reinforcing that Herod has no control over him. He doesn't fear Herod. He will accomplish his goal He will establish his kingdom. He will not be stopped. It will lead to his death, but not at the hand of Herod. No one takes his life from him. Jesus lays down his own life with his own authority. Now, Jesus explains that he will continue his ministry today and tomorrow and the next day. And what did he mean by this? It's obviously important. He says it twice here. And he can't mean it literally because he's still a long ways from dying and rising. It seems that this phrase is reflective of a deeply Jewish way of referring to a key period of time. Things that come in three-day sequences are, are very significant. Obviously, the prime example of this being Jesus' death, uh, his crucifixion and burial, followed by his resurrection on the third day. But here, Jesus isn't referring to his resurrection. He's referring to something very significant taking place on that third day when, as he says, he will reach his goal. Here comes a short Greek lesson, so bear with me. The word in the Greek that Jesus uses in verse 32 that's translated as reach my goal is a form of the verb teleo which Jesus will speak from the cross in declaring it is finished. And the verb teleo carries, carries with it more than just a sense of being done with something, right? It, it speaks more of, of fulfillment, of a summing up of all things, of, of consummation in ways that have significant eschatological overtones. So the Lenten irony 
to, to be mined and savored in all this is that this, this consummation, this fulfillment of all things is tied up with Jesus' death. When the Pharisees thought that they could scare Jesus away by holding out the prospect of, of death, what they didn't know is that far from running from death, Jesus saw death as the key to his being able to fulfill all things. Now we need to recall that, that this scene takes place well after the turning point in Luke's gospel, which is chapter 9, verse 51, when Jesus resolutely set his face toward Jerusalem. And so all of the subsequent chapters leading up to the triumphal entry in Luke 19, and then all the events leading up to the crucifixion take place in the context of Jesus' full determination to fulfill all righteousness and bring about salvation through his own sacrificial death. I mentioned earlier that Jesus' journey to the cross is our journey. He has gone before us, unafraid, to death, in order to conquer death. And now in light of that, we follow suit. We are made able to follow him. As Christians, as Christ followers, we are to imitate Christ. Paul says in Ephesians 5, Be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We are to imitate God by following Christ to his cross. If Jesus so confidently set his face toward the cross and obediently moved forward, then we are called to do the same. And that is key in this season of Lent. As Christians, we don't, we don't look for danger and death, right? We're not fatalistic for Jesus. But we do follow in the way of, of the loving, merciful, and nonviolent Jesus and, and serve others knowing that there are some who won't like what we're doing and, and may try and harm us as a result. Let's continue. Verse 33 Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Jesus' mention of death in Jerusalem leads him to reflect on the tragedy that Jerusalem in particular had been in Israel's past and, and will be in Jesus' future, even though it's a role that is a necessary one, as the end of verse 33 makes clear. But you might be wondering that if, if Jesus is ready to face evil head on, why would he describe himself as a chicken? Right? Why not a, a lion or a bear? Or Bigfoot. Wouldn't that be great? Settle that debate. He intentionally calls Herod a fox. So why would Jesus choose to be a fox's prey instead of its predator? I think Jesus is being wonderfully subversive here. At first it seems harmless, right? A a cuddly, plump, 
mother hen wanting to snuggle her young. But listen, mother hens will fight you. Okay, they, they will protect their young at all costs. A mother hen will put her whole body on the line to keep her chicks safe. They will always protect their chicks, even if it kills them. The same is true of Jesus. This is, this is what he's saying here. He will seek and desire to protect God's children, even knowing his actions will result in execution. Jesus wants Herod and everyone to know that, that death threats will not keep him from fiercely bringing healing and restoration to the world. Overall, in their encounters with foxes throughout history, chickens have not tended to fare well. And certainly, very soon, Jesus will die. And even the chicks who had stayed closest to him the longest will scatter. But for those who ultimately come back to Christ, the mother hen, for those who find in him a sheltering wing that that can protect them into the kingdom of God for all eternity, there will be new life after all. In Malachi 4, God, calling his people to repentance, says, For you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. An image of, of the new life made possible by abiding in him. And so even as Christ acts as mother hen, we will do well to imitate him in that. We are called to be mother hens. We are all called to protect the most vulnerable and the marginalized, the the sick and the lonely and the broken and the poor, the stranger, the immigrant, the outcast. In a world where foxes are a real threat, we are a flawed, wonderfully made people who are invited by God to cultivate the faith and courage needed to carry Christ's love to the world. We are the slaves to Christ, as Paul says, the the gardeners, the kingdom builders who are summoned by God to let go of the fear of uncertainty and failure and harm and yes, even death for the sake of others. As we, as the psalmist says, abide in the shadow of the Almighty, we imitate Jesus by gathering and protecting, surrendering our fears to God. But despite Jesus' resolution to shelter and protect and bring healing, there is still sin, and Jesus laments. In this moment, Jesus laments that the people will only realize they need God's steadfast love and protection after his death on the cross. The prophets in the Old Testament spoke out against evil and corrupt authorities and and called on the people to love God and neighbor, as we heard this morning in the readings. But, But their words mostly fell on deaf ears. Similarly, Jesus is having little success convincing Jerusalem to embrace his kingdom, which is vastly different than Herod and Caesar's. That hasn't changed, by the way. 
Jesus is still calling his people to know and love him instead of the world. To be a part of his kingdom. Not not the American kingdom. Not the democratic kingdom. Not the Republican kingdom. His kingdom. Jesus laments. He laments over a people who aren't willing to be gathered under God's parenting wings. They may ultimately desire to devote themselves to God and to live out his commands, but they can't seem to let go of their fears of what the government might do to them or their families if they pledge allegiance to anyone else. Even the disciples who have witnessed God's power firsthand aren't able to let go of the fear of uncertainty, so they abandon Jesus in his darkest hour. Simon Peter goes so far as to deny he ever knew Jesus. Neither the disciples or the citizens of Jerusalem like the powers that be, but they figure it's better to be safe than to be dead by going against the system. Jesus laments. Jesus laments that Jerusalem won't come to God despite his deep desire to be in covenantal relationship with them. And yet, God in Christ continues toward the city, arms stretched out in love for a people that don't want to receive it. Can we see ourselves in this? Absolutely. All of us limit God's work in our lives to some extent. Even though we're forgiven in Christ and and we've begun to experience the new creation through him, there are times when we resist God's transforming work in us. And whether it's recklessness or fear or sheer stubbornness, it's sinful. Jesus laments. Verse 35. Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Not only are God's people not experiencing the shelter of his wings, but Jesus says that their house is forsaken. More literally translated, your house is left unto you. Their house is no longer his. They are blind. We heard from Paul out of Philippians 3 earlier that there are those that walk as enemies of the cross of Christ and their end is destruction. Which, by the way, is why he stresses that we imitate Christ and find our assurance in our citizenship in his kingdom. But there are many who are not willing to set their face toward the cross and imitate Christ. They will not be the ones to experience the joy of new life. This is the wonderful paradox of the cross. What seems like only deep sadness and darkness and death actually produces new and abundant life. The cross is in fact necessary to know true life. How do we get there? Well, one piece of critical importance is repentance. In her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, Rosario Butterfield makes this observation. Repentance bears fruit. 
And even if we must pay the price for the sin, when we repent, we give God glory. Repentance always bears the fruit of giving glory to God. Repentance is not an endpoint, it is a launching pad. We repent unto holiness. In repentance, we grow in Christ likeness. We show that God is always right about matters of sin and grace. Our soul is refreshed and made ready to die well. Penitence, breeding, refreshment, and joy seems counterintuitive. But throughout Lent, we are preparing ourselves to know Christ's cross and to do so with joy, not fear. I know that that facing our sin and repenting and and even knowing the, the reality of what it means to be in the kingdom of God can be a fearful thing. But we can move forward in joy because Christ has gone before us. Even though Jesus pronounces judgment on and laments over his people's sin, remember where he's headed. He's leading the way to the cross, to forgiveness, to death, and ultimately new life. So for us, in this season of Lent, with our eyes fixed on our Savior's cross, hear this as Moses spoke to Joshua. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. As we're faced with our own sin and depravity, it's, it's so evident that we cannot make this journey on our own. As the psalmist in Psalm 91 directs us, we must abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Brothers and sisters, do not fear. Christ has gone before us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the faithful journey that Jesus made to the cross to bring salvation and healing and that we may have a way forward into new life. Help us to dwell under your wings in your shadow so that we can bring others into your goodness and salvation. Make our hearts ever repentant and ever new in the name of the father and the son and the Holy spirit. Amen.